Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to the one and only Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, we'll begin the show today with a little bit of news regarding the Pro Bowl because the Packers initially had two Pro Bowl selections, quarterback Aaron Rodgers and left tackle David Bakhtiari. Yeah. No surprise that Rodgers has decided not to participate. He's sort of done that for the last several selections. He's bypassed and let someone else go in his place. But along those same lines, the Packers have now had three alternates who have been chosen yeah. for the Pro Bowl to replace some other players. And that would be wide receiver Devontae Adams, defensive lineman Kenny Clark, and outside linebacker Zadarius Smith, and uh, certainly a neat moment for Clark and Smith because this is the first Pro Bowl for either player. Yeah, and incredibly well-deserving for both of them. One, Zadarius Smith had one of the finest seasons of any player in the National Football League this year. The way he was utilized, the number of positions that he played, and just his overall effectiveness at all these different spots. Yeah. Kenny Clark kind of reminds me of a player that a lot of times with these defensive line and offensive line positions, unless you're Aaron Don you know, Donald, yeah. it takes you a little bit of time to build up your name to get a Pro Bowl nomination, to get a to get an addition, uh, an alternate, and then finally actually making the team. This was a big step for him. I thought the way that he came on the second half of the season, particularly in the month of December, he, he deserves that recognition and that nod. But let's talk about Devontae Adams for a second. Sure. Because the first thing that jumped out to me when I saw that he got it, one, it's very rare that any player is able to make three consecutive Pro Bowl appearances, but for Devontae it's the first time in 26 years that it's happened as a Packers receiver with Sterling Sharp being the last to accomplish that feat. Yeah, and Sharp, it was was it his last three seasons, ninety two to ninety four, right before he ended up uh, prematurely retiring. So yeah, so I mean, just a, a tremendous honor for Devontae. And the, the thing that stood out to me, you know, I pulled up his stats, and he had a remarkable postseason, Mike, a hundred catches, one thousand two hundred ninety five yards, seven touchdowns. If you count his fourteen games with the postseason, I think what we're seeing here, you know. Aaron Rodgers has had some phenomenal receivers. I'm not going to get in a thing here where we start ranking them. Sure. But Devontae Adams has a real opportunity here to become something special in this franchise history and in this league. I think he's in the shorthand right now of five, six guys that I think are the preeminent receivers in the National Football League, and he does it with everything, his athleticism, his skill, his footwork, his tenacity. Uh, he is a complete football player. So to see him, despite the turf toe that wiped him out for October, to see him get this accolade, very well-deserving. Well, when you look at Adam's stats, you subtract the four games he missed in the regular season. He played two postseason games. If you look at that as his season, 14 games, which is still not quite a full season, but 14 games that he played, he had, was it 100 catches, 100 right? catches. I mean... That's that's pretty impressive on the face of it. And when you talk about the postseason, too, this is interesting because Adams won over 100 yards in both of the Packers' playoff games this year. He now has four 100-yard receiving games in the playoffs in just eight career postseason games. The four 100-yard games, that's already the most of any Packers player in postseason history to top 100 yards four times. And when you think about... All of these receivers through the Favre and Rodgers era, Antonio Freeman, Robert Brooks, Javon Walker, Sterling Sharp, Jordy Nelson, Randall Cobb, Greg Jennings, James Jones. I mean, all of these guys, 
In just eight postseason games, Devontae Adams already has more 100-yard games in the playoffs than any of those yeah. guys. That's that's really something. And and um, as you said, the three straight Pro Bowls certainly deserving of it. And uh, you just you wonder if not for those missed four games in the middle of the season, maybe what his regular season stats would have been. He ended up just the three-yard shy of a 1,000-yard season again for the second time in uh, in his career. But uh, he's getting the recognition he deserves, and certainly the way teams are defending him, the way teams are game-planning for him, um, he's, uh, he's not going unnoticed out there in the NFL. No, and, and just that he's doing this against the top cornerbacks and he's doing it against double coverage and everything else that coordinators are throwing at him. The thing I want to see this offseason, uh, and I hope people don't take this the wrong way, I'm sure some will, is, man, it would be great if the Packers draft a young receiver here. I don't care what round it is. But, man, you're able to get as many young guys as you can into that room right now with Devontae Adams to see how that guy works. Yeah. I was talking with Alan Lazard about this during cleanout. I mean, just the the improvements that he feels he's made just by being in Adams' presence, being able to ask him questions, uh, seeing the way that he approaches the game mentally. Uh, th- this I, I think Devontae Adams is a sum of all the parts. One, he's a phenomenally talented player, and he has a great head on his shoulders. But being able to share that that room with Jordy Nelson and Randall Cobb and having the relationship that he did with James Jones, all of that has manifested into what I feel is like the ultimate Packers receiver at this point. Mm. And the man, the more young guys that you can get in there with them, that'd be really that'd be really special. To I was going to say you, you have to start you have to continue the pipeline right. here, right? That goes back to say Donald Driver, who was Donald Driver and Greg Jennings were the, really the two receivers who sort of made the transition from Favre over to Rodgers. You know, they played, and James Jones as well, although Jones was only here for um, for Favre's last season before Rodgers took over as a starter. But you had those guys, and, you know, they were the ones who brought along, you know, the Jordy Nelsons and the Randall Cobbs, and then, and then Nelson and Cobb at different times yeah. rose into those leadership roles. Now it's Devontae Adams. You have to keep that pipeline going, right? I mean, it's about, it's about that leader setting the example, for the other guys and um yeah you'd certainly uh you'd certainly like to see the who who's the next Devonte adams yeah. you know who's the next randall cobb who's the next jordy nelson that uh that aaron Rodgers is going to be throwing to here at the at the uh the tail end of his career and we'll just have to wait and see yeah and it's it's just you go back to 2014 right when they drafted Devonte, they didn't really need a receiver quote unquote no. well they didn't time. need jordy nelson when they drafted yeah. him in 2008 either with all the with all the uh the weapons that they had, but look how that draft pick turned out. When you have a house like that and you're (laughs) able to bring that kind of talent in there, it's just neat to see that all mesh together. Honestly, when the press release got announced uh, on Tuesday morning and they sent it out that it was Devontae Clark and and Zadarius, I know there are certain things within contracts and how it's different from making the Pro Bowl as an alternate as as far as first ballot. Right, yeah, all those incentives and things like that. But just being able to get that on their resumes to say that Kenny Clark is a Pro Bowl defensive tackle, Zadarius Smith is a Pro Bowl linebacker, I think it would have been an ultimate travesty if we would have gotten through this whole gamut here, Mike. And Zadarius Smith, he just had a normal season, no huge accolades. I mean, that, that, it's good to at least being able to, the, the silver lining, the consolation, whatever description you want to throw on it, 
that that guy gets to be able to to have that type of recognition. Yeah, well, now he doesn't get to wear the snubbed shirt anymore. Sort though. of snubbed. So you, you just write it on top you just, of the snubbed. So you get a little edit, editing job yeah. on the on the kind T-shirt of there. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, we'll go, uh, we'll go with that. Well, the other thing we definitely need to talk about today is Monday, yesterday, was locker clean-out day, which is always, it happens every year, right? I mean, the season ends at some point. The players are cleaning out their lockers, saying their goodbyes. It's our last chance to interview some players for some stories and whatnot before they all disperse and head into their off-season vacations. And it was a, there was an interesting, I don't know if interesting is the right word, there was a, there was a, a whole mixture uh, in terms of the, the vibe in the room because a lot of guys were talking about just the camaraderie of that locker room and how close it was and everything like that but at the same time they're processing the fact that you know the season's over and they came so close to a Super Bowl and you don't always know who's going to be back there there is inevitable change year to year in the NFL in terms of the roster in terms of the makeup of the locker room so all of those things were kind of swirling around uh, during these interviews and it, it's it's kind of a difficult day in a way for the players to to process but it's interesting to to get their insights in it when you know they themselves are, are are kind of going through it when everything ends so abruptly as it always does in the postseason. Yeah, it was it was a, you know when I was walked in there, I wasn't really sure what to expect. Yeah, um, you know these locker rooms they can go a lot of different ways. the The overall theme that I took from it, I, I don't know if you'd agree with me or not, was uplifted. Uh, it just seemed like guys were pretty upbeat for the most part compared to what I felt to be a pretty emotional and not downtrodden, but just exhausted uh, locker room the night before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, th- you know, just talking to Mercedes Lewis a little bit, and first and foremost, he said he fully intends to play next year. Uh, would, would be his 15th NFL season if he does. Wow. But this is a guy that a year ago, and I wrote about this on Packers.com, is that he stepped back and he took two months basically to decide whether or not he still wanted to do this. He needed that after what was a really turbulent year in which he only played 17% of the offensive snaps. He didn't know if this is what he wanted to do anymore. Yeah. And with everything that happened this season for him individually and most specifically as a team, within 24 hours of that game ending against San Francisco, he's like, yeah, I'm back. I want to be back. <laughs> and regardless, he says he sees a lot of bright, you know, bright future here for this team and this locker room and the direction they're headed. But there was a statement that I thought stood out to me more than any other in this locker room. And it actually came from Jared Valdir. And it it was uh, over to our friend Bill Huber uh, with SI. And he said this is one of the most fun years he's ever had. Jared Valdir's been here for about a month. (laughs) And he's played 10 NFL seasons. Yeah, For him to come into this locker room and feel that energy... And to, to have that as his lasting impression, a guy who didn't know if he wanted to play this game anymore yeah. when he retired in May, to say something like that. And he probably, and I'd have to double check on his background, but he might not have known a soul in that locker room before he arrived. Billy Turner was yeah. it. He played Turner, with Turner yeah, in Denver. That's right. Turner was the only, I mean, he didn't know anybody else. Yeah. There was almost, there was no familiarity there at all. Yeah. But go ahead. He continue. caught Turner for one, I think one season, two seasons in Den. No, one season in Denver, and then he played half a season with Tremont in Arizona. That was okay, it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But you're right. This guy didn't know these offensive linemen. <laughs> I think he had a little bit of a background with Brian Bulaga because they came off in the draft the same year, and you you kind of, you know, notice other players at your positions. Yeah. But 
here he is getting welcomed in that locker room and then being able to have the success that he did. I mean, jumping in 20 minutes before the Seattle game, starting at right tackle in a pivotal playoff game, finishing that game against Detroit when, when Balaga left with the knee injury or with the concussion, excuse me. Yeah. It just, this was a special team. It was a special year. And no matter what piece they brought into it, it just fit perfectly. So on one side, that's the thing that hurts because you had a locker room that probably was as tight as it's going to be. Yeah. I, 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 that seemed almost utopian the way it ended up working out. But on the other side of it, it's a young core. There's motivated players, and you're going into the second year now with the head coach in place. There's optimism and appreciation, I think, for what happened in 2019. Yeah, there definitely is, and uh, and as tough as it is to uh, to see the season end, and you know these guys, they're they're realists too, Wes. They know there are absolutely no guarantees that they'll ever get that close again. You you don't know if you're going to get that shot again. Obviously, as you said, there's there's optimism that the Packers can get back there, but just because you think so, just because you have the talent to do it. Um, even if you put together the regular season to do it, the playoffs are the playoffs, and you right. just don't know if you'll ever get back to that point. But you mentioned Mercedes Lewis. He's one of 13, I believe is the number, pending unrestricted free agents that uh, the Packers will be making contract decisions on over the next couple of months with free agency officially starting in, I believe it's the second week of March. Yeah. Um, but just to... Uh, rattle off a few of the bigger names on that pending pending uh, free agency list as far as the unrestricted guys. Mercedes Lewis, Brian Balaga, Blake Martinez, Tremont Williams, Kyler Fackerel, uh, who Mason else? Crosby. Mason Crosby, yeah. yes, absolutely. And then you got um, your Ibrahim Campbells, your Tyler Urbans. Yeah, some Del of those Beer. guys who haven't been here yeah. as long, but they are also uh, uh, vested veterans and and at the end of their contracts, and they will be unrestricted as well. So 13 of them all together. And you know how this works, Wes. There is absolutely no way there is enough money under the salary cap. As much as the Packers would love to keep this whole group together and say, hey, let's make another run at it, that's not realistic. That's not how this is going to work. We don't know who's going to be back and who won't be out of those 13 players. Yeah, If we did, but, we wouldn't be doing this show. Right, yeah. If, if we did, we'd be spending our time doing some other things. <laughs> but um, the locker room cohesion, the chemistry, the camaraderie, I think that's an interesting thing because that, it'll, be, it'll be a challenge next year um, for, you know, to repeat that. And I, I, I just hope for the players' sake that as much as everything this year with that locker room seemed to just, seemed to just happen organically and naturally based on the personalities of the guys who were leaders at certain position yeah. groups, whether you're talking the Smiths or whether you're talking the Balagas and Bakhtiaris, you know, on the offensive line and Devontae Adams at wide receiver, all of that, you can't, you can't force it, no. you know. So whatever the personnel changes are and whatever new faces come into the locker room and certain guys who maybe leave and, and play, you know, played big roles, but maybe they won't be back. You just have to kind of let it happen again and, and, and see where it goes. And I don't think they're going to be able to repeat what they had in terms of the locker room cohesion moving forward in 2020. But that's not to say that you can't still have a locker room that works yeah. and, and get what you need, get what you need out of that in terms of uh, of the closeness of the team. And that's always the special thing about professional football, and honestly, to be fair to other sports, many other professional sports and college sports as well, is that you can 
you can you can draft, you can sign, you can recruit, you can do all these things. You can go on these intangibles. You can ask all the questions. But until those players are in the locker room, you don't always know what you're going to get. Yeah. And it goes both ways. It can be positive and it can be negative. But I think the thing, one of the reasons why Aaron Rodgers, when he was at the podium on Sunday, said, you know, he's encouraged by this group because of the leadership. Is every piece, is every single piece going to be back? No. Is this 53-man roster that exit the field at Levi Stadium can be the same one that comes out on the field at the beginning of 2020? No. No, not a chance. But if you have that core in place, you know, there's a reason to believe that it can be similar. And, you know, let's be honest, too, and I'm really excited to talk to Brian Gutekunst at some point. I'm guessing it'll probably end up being the NFL scouting combine. Yeah. What this group of scouts saw in these free agents they added, not just the, the four big ones that we always talk about, but... You know, Jared Valdir and reading the stories about how, you know, teams were all reluctant to to potentially, you know, claim him. You know, they wanted to work him out. They wanted to talk to him. The Packers just claimed him, and they accepted the contract that came with that. And then you look at, you know, a guy like Tyler Irvin that gets brought in, and, you know, some of the conversations I was hearing about how the scouts, they knew, and Rogers said it too, that the scouts knew that they liked him and they were following him, and then he just comes free in December and they bring him in and you know that could potentially be the kickoff and punt returner next year for Green Bay we have to wait and see yeah timing is everything right it's I mean incredible. it's, it's uh, because I'm sure there were you know it wasn't the first time Tyler Irvin had been released but at other times earlier in his career when he is released and if the Packers have their eye on him it's all what is your roster situation yep. at the time? What are your needs? Do you have an opening or, you know, are you, are you thinking that, you know, so-and-so is headed to injured reserve so mm -hmm. then you have a roster spot available? All of those things factor into it. And sometimes, sometimes it's just the timing is right. You know, for the Packers, the roster spot was there, or at least they were planning on creating one. And they, they clearly had a need to try to upgrade the special teams with the return. And he comes, he comes in and, you know, takes the bull by the horns, so to speak, and makes an impression right away yeah. when he steps in there. And then all of a sudden, so yeah, now here we are talking about it like, well, if they bring back Tyler Irvin, you know, then do we go into training camp next summer already knowing yeah. who the punt returner, kick returner is going to be? Maybe that, maybe that ends up being the case, but we'll see. Yeah, and the thing I love about it, too, is that it's not like Tyler Irvin was just doing all the same stuff in Jacksonville. <laughs> Tyler Irvin was averaging like a buck and a half on – punt returns yeah. during those six weeks in Jacksonville. Just the, the job that the scouts do to find guys, character, athleticism, all those different measurables is just in, in remarkable. But, you know, this is this is why they have to make big decisions, though, this offseason, getting back to your original question, because yeah, who do you resign? Because beyond that, you have Kenny Clark coming up on the end of his rookie deal. Aaron Jones is eligible for an extension this offseason if you want to go that route. David Bakhtiari is going to be coming down the pipeline here in 2021. That that's the that's the difficult job that a general manager has to weigh: mm -hmm. who stays, who goes. How do you allocate those funds? It's just like if you're in your house and you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with your monthly paychecks. You know, you obviously have to pay your mortgage, in your car payment, in Netflix, and all that fun <laughs> stuff. But how many bells and whistles do you get to add into this? Yeah, that's what makes the league great, and that's why I said. And I mentioned on yesterday's show, I wrote it in inbox. A very pragmatic offseason is needed for Green Bay to decide we have an excellent opportunity. How do we maximize it? Yeah, exactly. It's how how do you how do you go about building another roster that's going to give you the best shot? And what's interesting here with the Packers, when you're talking about some of these pending free agents, Mason Crosby, Mercedes Lewis, Brian Balaga, these aren't these aren't the guys who 
you know, like a Kenny Clark who's just getting to his yeah. second contract. These are guys who they've already gotten their second and a lot of times even third contracts. And, and uh, you know, they're obviously at the tail end of their careers, but they played really, really big roles on a really, really yeah. good team. So those those can be tough decisions. And from their perspective, you know, they're like, well, this might be the last contract I ever signed. So they're trying to maximize yeah. on it for themselves. And the Packers are trying to decide, okay, what is the value of these players going forward? It, the business part of it is tough. You know, it, it's it's difficult. There, it, it's not easy to find the right answers to all this. But as I like to say, that's why Brian Gutekunst gets paid the big bucks, right? Yep. I mean, that's that's that's, why that's you his and I, job. That's that's the gig. That's so, why uh, we're uh, on Packers Unscripted. We'll be writing Insider <laughs> Inbox later. I'll go home at five o'clock and not have to watch any film. That's, right. That's why we're in the positions that we're in. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And making well, comparable money. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, we've got a long off season, obviously, to talk about uh, a lot of these issues, and we will find out later this week. At some point, we're going to hear from Matt Lafleur. He'll host a, uh, a season-ending news conference. And I as will well. close off this this edition of Unscripted. I just want to go back to one thing because I had a chance to talk with Blake Martinez a little bit, getting back to these free yeah. agents and everybody yeah. else. It is, in the, one of the things that really, it, it's incredible for me to watch now, and I'm sure you feel like this too, seeing a young Wes Hodkowitz now in year four here with you at <laughs> Packers.com, this league goes by so quickly. And, and when I was talking with Martinez, he kind of scanned the locker room a little bit. He was talking about how when he got in the door, well, first and foremost, you know, he was the kid laying out in front of his locker. He always had his film, you know, his iPad out. He was, you know, pelting Rogers with questions, doing everything he could yeah. do to learn. And he said he remembers, you know, there was a conversation he had with, with Clay Matthews. And, you know, Matthews is making big money. He's a big contract. And he said it to him, you know, someday that's going to be you. That's going to be you that's going to be, you know, going into unrestricted free agency and being able to do that. It's just insane how quickly those four years go on rookie contracts. Well, I had a, just a brief moment to to say something to Mason Crosby yesterday as he was packing up. And I, I tell you, he was packing up his shoes. I mean, I know he's a kicker, but my goodness, does that man have a lot of shoes in his locker? Holy cow! But <laughs> anyway, I just had, I had a brief moment to talk to him, and and uh, when you just when you I stop and reflect on it, and I remember when Mason Crosby walked into the locker room as a sixth round draft pick out of Colorado, and he was fighting for the kicking job with Dave Rayner, who had been the Packers kicker in 2006. And it was, you know, this training camp battle and the whole thing. It To think, I mean, that was so long ago. Yeah. And yet it just doesn't seem like it was that long ago. I mean, Mason Crosby is still here. And, I mean, we can we could spend show after show talking about a lot of these guys and, and, uh, and all of our interactions with them. But Mason Crosby is still the same guy he was in yeah. 2007, and I say that in absolutely the most complimentary fashion. He's a uh, he's a pros pro, and um, and you know he's another one of those guys that uh, uh, whether it's sharing his own personal stories or facing the tough questions after a tough game, he's a guy that's always he's a guy that's always there, and he's he's been he's been great to work with, and I certainly hope he's back. Just my personal yeah my personal Th hope that's why covering the nfl and any any major sports league it's so unique because you know I, I would argue with colleges you don't always get a chance to really know guys because they're there for a little bit then they're gone yeah and but with with pro teams you get to know guys for 8 10 12 years sometimes and that's only a fraction of their lives it's only a fraction of our lives right but 
it's enough to get to know the person and, and sometimes you end up seeing these people more than you do your own families you know around the office and things like that but then they're on to the next chapter and it's nfl i think is a really good you know microcosm of life i just i think it's it's a perfect representation of what happens how you build how you learn but also understanding how brief everything is it was it was cool. It's always th- those. There's always a lot of self-reflection in those final locker rooms because there is that idea, as you were pointing out earlier, that not everybody's going to be back and yep. things will be different. Yep. And uh, I think that also makes you kind of appreciate those moments a little more. Yeah, absolutely. Well, with that, we'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services, and check out the Packers YouTube channel for all kinds of great video content. For Wes, I'm Mike. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. See you next time.